Well, as I was growing up, uh, I distinctly remember that there was one thing that, in a sense, defined Christmas for me, more than the presents, more than decorations or a tree, that one thing that for me, actually a, a person that defined Christmas in a sense for me was my grandmother from California. We called her Nana. See, from about second or third grade on to maybe my junior year of, uh, of high school, Nana would fly out for Christmas to visit us wherever we happened to live at the time. We, uh, being a military family, we moved around, and so sometimes we'd be in Iowa or Virginia or Oklahoma. Wherever we were at the time, Nana would fly out from California, and she would spend some time with us for the holiday. And this wasn't just like a weekend visit. When Nana came to visit... Nana was there for a whole month, and so I would get kicked out of my room because there's no way that Nana was going to stay on the pull-out couch for that long. And so I would get to sleep in my sister's room on an old army cot. It was very comfortable. And uh, so I'd move my things over there, and in the weeks leading up to Nana's arrival, everything that we did revolved around preparing the house for her to be there. We called it Nana Cleaning. And, and to this day, my family still uh, knows what is meant by, I want the house Nana Clean. Because Nana Clean means that you could like spill a cup of coffee on the floor and lick it right back up because the floor was that clean. Or like Nana Clean meant that you could see your face reflected into the sink faucet even on the back side that nobody sees. Like that part was so shiny you could see your face in it. That was Nana Clean. And everything had to be Nana Clean. And we'd prepare in all different ways as well. We'd buy her favorite candy and put them in a bowl by, by, the, next, by the side of her bed because Nana was diabetic and sometimes she needs her sugar. And so we'd put a whole bowl of candy next to her bed and we'd uh, fill up all my things in my room would go into baskets because it looks nicer. Uh, we'd pull out the Nana linens specifically for her bed because apparently mine were too shabby looking and um, everything was special because Nana was coming. And we'd, we'd hang a stocking next to everyone else's and it said her name, Nana, because that's her name obviously. And we'd pull out the chair for her, the rocking chair from the other room, and everything would be set for Nana. And then finally the day would come when she would arrive. My dad would go and pick her up from the airport and, and she'd carry in her suitcases into the, into the house and we'd hear about her flight and how nice the flight attendants were to her and what snacks she ate on the airplane. And we'd put away what would become the star of the Christmas table the tamales. Now, just in case you don't know what a tamale is, it's basically heaven wrapped up in like a corn husk and served on a plate. It's delicious. And that is our Christmas dinner. As a Mexican-American family, that's our traditional dinner. And so on Christmas Day, we'd sit down to, I hope you're not hungry, tamales brought from California and homemade rice and beans, and it's, it's just delicious. 
And so when I saw Nana walk into the door of our home with her two suitcases in hand and that familiar scent of her very strong perfume, and she'd exclaim something to my dad like, I'm mijo que frío, it's so cold. And after eons, or, or maybe actually more like a month of cleaning, and I saw her walking in, I knew that Christmas was almost here. See, her presence to me, even just preparing for her presence, defined Christmas for me. And many of you have maybe a similar kind of story, uh, a someone or maybe a something that defines Christmas for you. Maybe it's going to see mom and dad or your kids coming home for the holidays. Or maybe it's a special dessert that grandma and grandpa always make at Christmas time. Or maybe Christmas for you is all about the grandkids and, and finding the perfect gift for every single one of those grandkids. And everything about the holidays is defined by, revolves around that person or people. But the problem with this arises when that person, that, that presence, isn't able to be present, right? In a year like this, many of us find ourselves kind of dragging our feet to get into the holiday spirit because some defining presence is missing. And I'm not, I'm not just talking about like losing a loved one permanently, though absolutely that could be part of it, but even just not being able to gather in the ways that we're used to, not being able to uh, have our typical Christmas celebrations with friends or with family, the way that we, we've always envisioned, that we always have, that missing familiar presence can leave us kind of feeling a little bit lost. I remember the first time that Nana wasn't able to come out for Christmas. She just wasn't able to make the journey anymore, and uh, the travel was just, it, it was a long travel, and the doctor said, you know, it's probably best for you to just kind of stay home in the warmer weather for, for Christmas now. And we realized there would be no suitcase full of tamales. So she used to in California, pack up one suitcase full of tamales and another suitcase for her things. And so we realized that with Nana not coming, there would be no tamales. And of course, absolutely, we were heartbroken that Nana was not coming, but we also realized the tamales were not coming. And how could it be Christmas without tamales? And so we found ourselves in a bind like, whoa, now we have to figure out how to make tamales. And so we did. We figured out how to, how to make them. My mama messaged people back home in California to get their best recipes. And we figured out how to make them. And now that's, that's one of my favorite parts of our family traditions for Christmas. But to this day, my mom insists that they do not taste the same as they did back home in California. See, in this kind of maybe like disappointing scenario, doesn't just happen at Christmas time, right? Any time 
our world revolves around a particular defining person. And for whatever reason, that changes. We feel lost. When the kids finally move out of the house, and your whole life has revolved around the kids, or when a loved one does pass away, or even when a relationship that you banked everything on crumbles or even just ends because it happens. Whenever that defining presence is missing, we feel like nothing makes any sense anymore. Like, like we can't move, we can't do anything because that presence is, is missing. The passage that Pastor Chris read for us earlier from the book of Exodus chapter 33 described how for the people of Israel, this defining presence was actually God. They'd been ripped away from everything that they knew in Egypt, their homes, their work, their livelihoods, everything that was familiar to them was gone. Everything that in their minds defined them, everything that made them them, was gone except for God. And at this point, God was the only thing that made them distinct from all other people on the face of the earth. That's why in the passage, Moses said to God, if your presence doesn't go with me, don't, don't bring us up from here. Like, I don't want to go if you're not going with us because if you don't go with us, we are basically nothing. I'm not going if you don't go with us. Moses and the people of Israel realized that God's presence with them was the only thing that actually made them distinct, gave them meaning. In fact, they realized this so much that they created a specific space for God's presence to dwell. It's called the tabernacle. See, earlier in the book of Exodus, God told Moses to build this thing called the tabernacle, and he gave him all the details for it. And in Exodus 24, he said, Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. And so he gave Moses all the details of the materials to use and all the, the measurements, the exact specifications, how, how to furnish the tabernacle even. He laid it all out for him. And so Moses builds it exactly to a T, how God described. And then he dedicates it to God. And God's presence came and filled that space that Moses had built for him. And I love this passage. I, I want to read this to you from ex Exodus chapter 40, verses 34. Listen to this. After Moses has dedicated the temple or the, the tabernacle to God. It says, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, 
in the sight of all of the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Now, Moses himself had already actually been in the habit of meeting with God, and and he did this regularly. We know that from Exodus chapter 33, uh, he called it the tent of meeting. And and that passage does call, call it the tent of meeting, but this is the tabernacle now. And the tent of meeting, though, was a little bit different from the tabernacle. See, when, when Moses wanted to meet with God, before the tabernacle, he would go outside of the camp, and he'd set up a tent, and God's glory would fill that tent for a time, and Moses would meet with God, it says, face to face. And when he was done, he'd pack it up, and he'd go back into camp. But the tabernacle was different. The tabernacle was more a, a permanent structure, and, and it could be moved when the people moved, but then once camp was set up, it was set up like it was there. And not only that, but the tabernacle was actually set up in the center of camp. And so when they would set up a new camp, the tabernacle was set up in the middle, and everything else surrounded it, even faced in towards the tabernacle. And so it was in the very middle of the camp, not on the outside like the tent of meeting used to be. And so the tabernacle represented God dwelling in the midst of the people, not just meeting with God, but God actually with his people in the middle of where they were. See, there's a difference between meeting with God when we, when we feel like we need him and God dwelling with us all the time in our midst. See, it's kind of like the difference between setting up a lawn chair versus sitting in your living room. In fact, if you're, if you're sitting at home and you're joining us online, I want you to just take a moment to look around you. Maybe you're sitting in a living room and just, just look at everything around you. Maybe you're sitting on the couch with like a cup of coffee and a cat on your lap and a blanket, because that's what I would be doing. Uh, just look at your living room. And for those of you who are here, we have a little living room set up here. See, there's, there's a difference between this and a lawn chair, right? A lawn chair, you just throw it out, and when you're done, you take it back, put it in the little bag, and throw it in the trunk of your car for next time. But a living room, it takes a little bit more forethought a little bit more like preparation. And not only that, it kind of communicates something a little different. It's kind of like the difference between the word house and home. I mean, technically they're the same thing, but they feel a little bit different. House and home. Home is like it's like that feeling when you walk in after a long trip and you just you open the door and it's just it's, it's home, it's, it's familiar, and it's peaceful. Even if the inside of your home is sometimes crazy with kids, it's still, it's your home. It feels different. It's like kicking back and cozying in with a blanket or, like I said, a cat and a, a hot drink. The idea of home is different than just house. In Scandinavia, they actually have a word that describes kind of this, this cozy feeling, just a single word that describes this. It's the Danish word huga, and it basically means cozy. 
but not just like cozy, like warm or a cozy coat. It represents just this, this picture of interpersonal coziness, like having a few loved ones sitting around you and you're talking about stuff that's really meaningful to you. And maybe you've got a candle lit and a cup of coffee in your hand. And it's, it's kind of this, this feeling of, of safety and contentment. And it's all wrapped up into this one Danish word, huga. And while technically the best English word for this, this picture for us would be cozy, I think that kind of translates into the word home for us as well, or at least ideally so. I mean, home even has, has a way of becoming core to who we are, right? That's why when we're getting to know someone, one of the first questions we ask them is, so where's home for you, right? It's part of who we are. When God dwelled with the people, when he took up residence in the tabernacle at the center of the camp, when he filled that space with his presence, it was like he was saying, I'm staying and, and I'm here, I'm with you. This is, this is home. My people want to be with you. See, we, we have a phrase of, that we say sometimes, home is where the heart is. And hasn't God's heart always been for and with his people? God's presence dwelling in the midst of his people brings comfort, coziness maybe, peace. And it, it defines us his presence with us becomes core to who we are. It's like, it's like home. And for the people of Israel, wandering in the desert without a home, God was what made their tents set up in the wilderness home. And yes, they were traveling to a, a, a homeland. But when they're in the middle of, of the desert, and that wasn't, possible at the moment, that was God. God's presence dwelling among them at the very center of them gave them meaning and and peace. His presence defined who they were as a people, and all that they were revolved around God. Because they realized without him, they would be totally lost. Without God, they would be nothing. And the incredible thing is I, I, I think of this idea of God living in the midst of his people like that. The incredible thing is that God has made this same defining presence available to us. He took up physical dwelling with his people when he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to earth. The Apostle John wrote that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, right in the middle of our world. And because of this dwelling that that he took up with his people, because of that, we can actually know God. We can actually have a relationship with him. And that relationship can offer us peace and meaning just like the people of Israel experienced. 
See, we may seek out all manner of relationships or defining presences in our life, boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse, kids, friends, even coworkers and cats. And everything that we do, everything that we are revolves around that presence. Our choices, our actions, our thoughts and decisions, everything revolves around that. But we find ourselves a bit lost when that presence is for whatever reason absent or not reliable or when it disappoints us or it's not responsive to our needs the way we need it to be. And we find ourselves saying, I just, I don't even know why I bother anymore. I don't even know how to live life if I don't have that presence in my life. They're my whole world. I just wouldn't be me without them. But here's the thing. More than any other relationship, A relationship with God has the capacity to give true and transformative meaning to our lives. And only, only a relationship with God has the capacity to give us undeniable, unchanging, unwavering peace. Because as Pastor Jared reminded us a couple weeks ago, God always hears our cries. And he alone is mighty enough to save us. And as Pastor Chris told us last week, God alone is able to give us the guidance we need in life. God alone is always with us. And he offers to take up residence in the tabernacle of our hearts to offer peace and to define us. He wants to dwell with us. Not just like temporarily, like the tent of meeting though. He wants to dwell with us all the time in our thoughts, in our every waking action. He says, I I want to be the center of everything, that thing that you say, my whole world is about this. I wouldn't be me without this. I wouldn't be me without God. And you might say, okay, well, that's, that's great, but how do I actually experience this, this meaning and this peace that you're talking about? How do I actually get to the point where God is truly at the core of who I am? And I can honestly say he defines me. How do I do that? How do I get there? Number one, prepare a space for him. Prepare a space for him and then invite him to fill it. Give him permission to define and determine your every coming and going. I mean, that's the example that Moses gave us. That's what Moses did, isn't it? He created, he prepared a space, and he said, all right, God, this is all yours. I want you to come and fully inhabit this space. I want you to live right here in the middle of us. 
I've hung the stocking with your name. It says, God, I, I, I've pulled out the chair for you. I've bought your favorite candies, prepared a room for you. I've done all the preparing ahead of time so that you can just come and you can just be. You can just be with me and dwell here. Prepare a space in your heart, in your schedule, in your spending, in your thoughts, in your priorities. Prepare space for him to dwell and then invite him to fill it. Because when we have invited God to dwell with us in that space that we've prepared, what happens is he begins to influence and determine every decision, every step, and he leads us closer and closer to everything that he desires us to be, everything that he desires us to do. And we don't have to wonder or worry because his presence fills our worrying and our wondering with peace. And soon we'll begin to realize that without God, nothing else makes sense any sense. See, I think back to that initial exchange between Moses and God in the first passage. Even before the tabernacle, before the dwelling place had been established, Moses was searching for guidance, for meaning, and he says to God, Lord, if I'm expected to do what you're asking me to do and go where you're asking me to go, I'm, I'm going to need something here. You got to give me something. Do you remember what God said? His reply to Moses in Exodus 33:14. God's reply to Moses was, "My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest." My presence, literally that word means my, my face, my very identity, the thing that makes me uniquely me, the presence that is too holy for you to look upon, the presence that was there at the beginning of time, the presence that makes the earth tremble and the mountains be thrown down, that presence, my presence will go with you. And I will give you peace. I'll give you rest. When we prepare a space for God and invite his presence to fill it, his presence will give us the incomparable guiding meaning in life that we all so crave. And he will give us rest. He'll give us peace. Because we don't have to wonder who we are. He defines us. We can just rest in the, the home peace of knowing that he defines us. We find our home, our being in him. So the question that I want to close with this morning is have you created a tabernacle space for God in your life, in your heart, a dwelling place a space where you have invited him to permanently reside, where he has permission to call the shots in your life and lead you deeper and deeper towards his plans for you? Are you allowing him to define you? 
at the very center of your being, more than anything or anyone else. Because God desires to dwell with us, and his presence in our lives is able, more than any other presence, to give us meaning and peace. Would you pray with me? Lord, we desire your presence in our midst. We want you to be the very center of all that we are. Lord, help our hearts find their their home, their meaning in you. Define every step we take, every thought, every breath, because you alone are worthy of living dwelling at the center of our lives. Father, dwell with us. Be the home for our hearts. It's in your holy and worthy name that we pray these things. Amen.